Welcome to Chapter Chat Online Book Club. I'm Carrie. And I'm Michael. We are speech language pathologists who are passionate about developmentally appropriate practice. Each week, we discuss one chapter from a book related to optimal child development and education reform. Thanks for joining us. And enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. I am here with my good friend, Mike. How's it going? <laughs> we are going to be uh, discussing chapter three of the book that we are currently reading, and our book is called Let the Children Play, How More Play Will Save Our Schools and Help Children Thrive. It's by Posse Salberg and William Doyle, and so this is a pretty beefy chapter, isn't it, Mike? This might be the biggest chapter in the history of Chapter <laughs> Chat. Uh, it took several days for me to get through it. You know, yeah. I, I like to, because I'm so big on highlighting and underlining yes. and taking yep. notes in the margins. Yeah. Uh, but this is a big one. This is, uh, if you're reading along with us, uh, this might be the biggest chapter in the book. I haven't gone ahead and looked, but this book is just chock full of information on play uh, that you can literally, you can probably take this chapter, print it out, give it to your superintendent. And yep. you know, this is, this is all the information you'll need. Yeah, it really is. I think we we figured out this chapter is over 50 pages long. And so we have done the reading for you. And yep. that is the benefit of listening to Chapter Chat is you can soak up all the great information while you're driving in your car, working out, doing the dishes, you know, whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts. And we're just going to kind of summarize and highlight what we found to be the most important. So this chapter, Chapter 3, is titled The Learning Power of Play. And it is a doozy. So we're going to go ahead and jump in and try to hit the hallmarks and not focus too much on everything on every single page because we would never get through yeah, it in a, in a timely a manner. four hour podcast. Yeah, for the four hour episode <laughs> for real, right? Right. So I think we just, we do have to start on page 42. I think it's just really important that the very first thing I highlighted was it said, um, children need both unstructured free play and playful learning under the gentle guidance of adults. And don't you think that's really well worded, Mike? Gentle guidance. That's really good. I like uh, that because really what they're talking about is scaffolding, right? That's exactly it. Gentle yeah. guidance, not being too overbearing, which right. is a major theme of this chapter. It really is. is. You know, uh, last chapter, we redefined play as seeds, remember? Yes. Oh. So we stopped calling it play. We're calling it seeds. So this chapter discusses play more scientifically what is it? How do we redefine it? And how can we find a new way to really view it for all ages? So what I, what I love about this chapter, of course, is it gives a lot of examples of play for middle school and high school yes. age students. And it really describes how play in the young age leads to all sorts of varied experiences in Absolutely. the older ages. Absolutely. And for those of you who maybe forgot what SEED stands for from chapter two, it is Systematic Exploration, Experimentation, and Discovery. S-E-E-D, systematic exploration, experimentation, and discovery. So they said, if you ever have people like poo-poo your use of play, like, oh, all you do is just play. Oh, no, no. What we do is we focus on seed, right? Which is Correct. systematic exploration, experimentation, and discovery. So uh, that is is really awesome. And I, and I really, I do appreciate, Mike, how this chapter, like you said, does a good job of not just talking about play in early childhood, which I feel like most people kind of grasp, but yep. it really talks about, and I, I even mentioned to you before we uh, went, went, started recording, was the very last page of this chapter talks about how play actually relates to academic learning. And to me, that was huge. It's a nice little chart, you know, that's really well laid out. So we will we will uh, certainly talk about that when we get to the end of the chapter. Um, but so one of the, the themes that we have had in pretty much every book that we have uh, uh, discussed so far is, and they talk about it here on page 42, is that play is essential to healthy development, right? Uh, regardless of the age of, of the person, play is essential. And the American Academy of Pediatrics, they pulled this, um, this quote from one of their documents on the advantages of play. And I just want to read a little bit of it. Uh, play allows children to use their creativity while developing their imagination, dexterity, and physical, cognitive, and emotional strength. Play is important to healthy brain development. It is through play that children at a very early age engage and interact with the world around them. Play allows children to create and explore a world where they can master 
conquering their fears while practicing adult roles, sometimes in conjunction with other children or adult caregivers. As they master their world, play helps children develop new competencies that lead to enhanced confidence and the resiliency that they will need to face future challenges. Undirected play allows children to learn how to work in groups, to share, to negotiate, to resolve conflicts, and to learn self-advocacy skills. Well, look at that. There were some powerful wow. t- uh, wow. keywords in there, weren't there, Mike? There's, a, I think there's a lot in there that every parent in the world can emotionally connect to. Yep. Every yep. single sentence in there has something that every parent wants in their child. That's and right. And it all comes from one place, and that's play. Yep. Nowhere in this paragraph does it say getting good grades or doing all your homework or being attentive in class. It's the ability to go through play, undirected play, Mm -hmm. learn through cause and effect, engage yep. in in non-screen-based play, true, real, real play. Yep. And it leads to all of these great things. You know, look at this. We're talking about emotional strength, resiliency, new competencies, self-advocacy, uh, working in groups. You know, this this paragraph made me think of your typical social skills group that, oh, uh, that yeah. is too directed. To right. adult directed. Oh, look, oh, look at Bobby. He wants to play with you. He said something. Your turn. You say something. Right. And there's zero carryover and it just frustrates no, the kids. No, right. You know, you know, when I read that paragraph, Mike, it makes me think of two words, life skills. There you go. Like I always think about, you know, what, what are we doing? Um, you know, we're, we're raising adults is what we're doing. Anybody yep. who is a parent, you know, that's really what our job is, is we're raising adults. And so uh, children with developing brains and bodies, children with developing nervous systems, what they need is life skills, right? They need play. And so we're going to, we're going to kind of dive into this here. Um, I think that on page 44, I love how they talk about one of the real benefits of play is that it is our innate, um, intrinsic motivation. That when we are playing, regardless of our age, nobody has to dangle the carrot to try to say, oh, here, you can have a sticker if you do this, or here, you can have this Skittle or this M&M if you do this, or look at this nice sticker chart I created for you. So if you do this task, I'm going to reward you. No, no, no. When children are learning, when when people are learning through play, they are intrinsically motivated. And isn't that powerful stuff? And did you see who it was who highlighted that? Uh, you see whose name see. Oh, it was? Harvard, is it Harvard University? Let's see. Look a oh, little bit. W- Wagner? Let's see. What, who is that, it? That, that name sound familiar? Who is it? It is not Tony Wagner from our Tony. book, Most Likely to Succeed. Was that there our second book? Our that was third. our first book. Our third, third. book. Third see, I don't book. even know. I can't even count to five. <laughs> right. So our third book. Okay, that is crazy. So yeah. one of the authors from our previous book said, we are all born with an innate curiosity curiosity and desire to explore, experiment, and imagine new possibilities. In other words, to innovate. And is that not a powerful word, Mike? When you think about what we really need um, for the success uh, of, of our country, of our world, is we need innovators, right? We can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. We need innovators. So that intrinsic motivation is pretty key, isn't it? Yeah, and it and it comes from real play, and and this is you know, and this is across all ages. Yep. Uh, and it's so important uh, because we talk about this all the time how play is disappearing. Yep. And I hear from parents all the time. You know, when I'm doing my intake call with parents, and I and I run through all the executive function skills, self regulation, right. self motivation, self evaluation, self awareness. When I say self-motivation towards non-preferred <laughs> task, uh-huh. 10 times out of 10, the parent on the other line is going, mm-hmm, that's my son. That's it. No yep. self-motivation towards anything right. beside their phone and their screens. Yep. So yep. W- w- there has to be a connection here between play disappearing yeah. and kids not being able to intrinsically motivate towards anything right. outside of instant gratification. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Also at the very bottom of page 44, and I underlined this word three times, so I apparently thought it was very important, that play um, allows uh, the person to practice behaviors they need in order to survive. And I think that practice is so important, right? This is how you master. Somewhere earlier, we talked about mastery of, you know, new skills. And to me, that word mastery as a therapist, you and I are both speech therapists, right? When we think about that, it's really about mastering goals. How do we know when to discharge a child from our services, it's because they've mastered their goals. Well, the way you master a new skill, a new competency is 
through practice. And so Mr. Rogers, I think, who is one of the most brilliant minds in early childhood of all times, is he um, uh, said, uh, play gives children an opportunity to practice what they are learning. And I can't think of a more powerful quote because he has hundreds of, you know, quotes, but that is my absolute favorite. Play gives children a chance to practice what they are learning. So if we um, systematically, uh, uh, you know, disable the access to play, which we are doing in our society, right? We think of play, our society views play as frivolous, purposeless activity. Um, And so play is disappearing, like you mentioned, from our homes, from our neighborhoods, from our child care centers. It's all but disappeared from our schools. So then when exactly do we think children are going to practice their new competencies, their new skills, right? When are they going to practice it? Because that's what play is for, because there's no right or wrong in play. And that is the beauty of play. Play is about the process. It's not about the end product. So it's just, oh, I just, everything about this chapter is- And this is what I love about this chapter so much is it really highlights the learning power of play. So every, so now there's such a stigma around play because parents associate it with little kids and sandbox and toys and these sorts of things. But every parent wants their kid to learn. And we look and we talk about this all the time when we talk about education reform and this lecture listen model we have. Uh Literally, it's cramming the brain with information, taking a test, doing as best as you can, and then forgetting the information. Right. Why? Because they aren't able to practice what they learn. Right. They just have to hold it in their brain, regurgitate onto a test, and And then it's on to the next things that need to cram their brain. Exactly. But, But in Finland, we learned that there's... there's time for play. There's time to use what you learn within the community. There's counseling sessions. There's more project-based learning where you're able to play with the information you know. So what would you rather do? Would you rather your son cram, cram, cram Uh and get an A and be stressed and then forget the information immediately (laughs) or do more project-based learning and be able to play with the information so they have it long-term? You know, that's almost, I almost wonder if there isn't, you know, we call it play in early childhood. What do we call it? I mean, as kids get older, I tend to switch to leisure activities, Uh but I wonder if project-based learning isn't maybe, you know, a really good almost, you know, synonym for play, play in early childhood. What do you think? What would we call it in, in, in older kids and adolescents? I don't know, because, you know, when you hear, again, when we start talking play, people are like, oh, that's just early childhood. No, we're talking about, and this book is talking about play is a state of mind, right? Play is is not, like you mentioned, sandboxes and, and you know, tricycles. I mean, it's more than that, right? Yeah. And, and in today's world, in, you know, uh, obviously, there's a, I'm sure there's a better word for it, but really it's boredom. You know, we need our teenagers to be bored. We yeah. need them to not whip whip their phone out when they're in line with their parents or in the car uh-huh. with their parents. We need them to keep the phone at home, have restrictions on the phone finally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the big corporations can do a much better job of uh, making parental controls easier. Uh-huh. Just about uh-huh. every teenager I know knows how to get around parental oh, controls sure, and sure. work around it, whether it's an iPhone or an Xbox or a Sony uh-huh. PlayStation, whatever it is. Uh, but that's really what it is. It's It's a lack of bored time. So you're mm-hmm. not using your imagination really for yeah. teenagers. It doesn't have to, you know, yes, they should be out riding bikes. They should be playing sports. They should be, you know, hanging out in the woods doing, you know, <laughs> doing whatever they should be doing these things, but they also need time to sit with their thoughts. Right. You know, all you parents out there that are listening, when is the last time your teenage son or daughter really sat there and did with nothing their thinking sat mm-hmm. there and looked out the window. I remember I used to ride the bus home in middle school, high school, and I would stare out the window because there were no iPhones. There were no computers in right. my pocket. I used to stare out the window and just think about things, look at right. the houses, you know, be, you know, use my imagination. Kids mm-hmm. today don't have to do that. No. And, and one of the things that I'm sure we've talked about in one of our previous episodes with one of our other books, but boredom is the fuel for creativity. So if human beings don't ever get bored because they have this instant gratification, like you mentioned in their pocket, they can whip out their iPhone, you know, their smartphone or their, their tablet, or, you know, immediately go play a video game, then there's no reason to rely on creativity and imagination. So boredom is that fuel. So if your child doesn't say to you, I'm bored at least once a week, I promise you they're either 
they're overscheduled or they have too much screen time, right? It's one of those two things. So on page, um, I'm just going to skip ahead just for one second, but on page 75, I underlined and highlighted something about creating creators or building creators rather than memorizers. And that made me think about what you said, Mike, like, do you really want your kid to just memorize, you know, a bunch of information and regurgitate it on a test, give them an A and call it good. And then they forget. So we need to, when we start talking about uh, education reform, that's, I guess, the question Mike and I are trying to get at is, is education just about standardized testing? Because that clearly is what it's about right now. So what good does it do students? You know, how are they becoming innovators? You know, if they are only memorizers and not creators. So what Mike and I are so passionate about is reforming education so that um, there is play in the curriculum, embedded into the curriculum, so that we can grow a generation of innovators, right? Grow a generation of creators, not just grow a generation of memorizers who have straight A's and are valedictorians. Like that's great, I guess. I mean, according to our society, that means you're a great student. But um, yeah. you have you ever heard that saying, Mike? I don't even know. C's get degrees or D's yeah. get degrees. And yeah. you know, you'll, I think I've read mm-hmm. somewhere that there are like CEOs of companies who say, oh, I, I give me the C students. I want the yeah. C students all the yeah. way because uh-huh. they're, they're nonconformists a little bit, Correct. you know? And so we want people who think outside that proverbial box. So yeah. I just... Mm. And also a lot of these major corporations aren't looking at these major Ivy League schools anymore. Right. You know, like we learned about this in our previous book. Yes. This whole concept of a college degree has really changed. Yep. You know, yep. do you want your like that you can have a student with an IEP, 504, whatever it may be, even without those documents, and they could, you know, do well in high school with their participation grade and their homework grade and their test grades and yep. do well on standardized tests and go on to college and get A's on every single test have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student <laughs> loans yep. and just look for a regular cubicle desk job. Right. But are you right. going to look for an innovator who was a part of all these different clubs, right. who did Boy Scouts, who did Cub Scouts, who did all these different things to gain these true life skills? And what you just mentioned is our favorite term, varied experience. There you go. And to me, that should be one of the things on like a job application. You know, yes. I mean, if you really want to, I, I remember I read somewhere, or maybe I was listening to, uh, who knows, maybe a podcast. I can't remember where I heard this, but that MIT, one of the questions they now have on their application is, did you, how much did you tinker as a child? They literally have the word tinker in there because what they find is the kids who tinkered, you know, in the garage, took things apart, put them back together, tinkered with Legos, you know, whatever it is. Heck, I had a toy because I'm kind of old called Tinker Toys. I mean, yeah, they were yeah, actually yeah. called uh-huh. Tinker Toys, yeah. right? So they, what MIT has found is that kids who tinker, they are creative and they're innovators and they're not just memorizers. So yep. I really like that they gave us that kind of little thing. You want? Do you want to grow memorizers or do you want to grow innovators? Woo! That's good stuff. Yeah. I remember I heard an interview one time with uh, someone who worked in like Ivy League college admissions. Okay. And he basically said the number one thing that he loved to see was if someone became an Eagle Scout. He said if he, oh. if, if it was listed that this person was an Eagle Scout, he wouldn't even look at their grades, wouldn't even look at their transcripts. Doesn't matter. This mm-hmm. person's an Eagle Scout, he's in. Yep. Isn't that amazing? Because it, it means he had a long-term goal and he was able to stick with it. So you've got yeah. perseverance. And it's hard and to I, get that. It's a lot it's of community, very commu- hard. community service and yep. you have to work in a team all the time and you have to yep. use your hands. It's obviously everything everything involved in becoming an Eagle Scout is non-screen based. It's Isn't outdoors. It's play-based. It's play-based. It's camping. Yeah. It's building. Right. It's It's everything. I love it. I love it. So on page 47, I, I think we, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but that how it's very hard to define the word play. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to, I want to read this here. This is again from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, they have a clinical report on play that came out in 2018. And it said, the definition of play is elusive. However, there is a growing consensus that it is an activity that is intrinsically motivated, entails active engagement and results in joyful discovery. Play is voluntary and often has no extrinsic goals. It is fun and often spontaneous. Children are often seen actively engaged in and passionately engrossed in play. This builds, here it is, Mike, the first time it is mentioned in this chapter, (laughs) and it's not the last. This builds executive functioning skills and contributes to, is everybody listening? Are you ready for this? It contributes to school readiness. And in parentheses, and what I love is the stuff in parentheses is the best part of the whole paragraph. In parentheses, it says, bored children will not, oh wait, no, bored children will not learn well. Well, what they're getting at is 
is. Yeah, that's a good question. I took that. Yeah, that was a dumb. <laughs> I shouldn't have made a big deal with that. I saw no, the word boredom. Okay. But bored. Hmm. Okay. Okay, Mike. So, so we're so going to. I think what they're saying here is that because when you do play, it teaches you to use your imagination. And if you don't do play, you have no imagination. So you're bored. So and, you're, and, you're bored in okay. school. So that's so what they're, they're saying. Looking, they're, you're bored in school. Okay, that makes sense. So because they say sense. here, play often creates an imaginative private reality. So that's what it is. So play creates this imaginative private reality. And Mike, don't you talk about internal play or it's internal mental, language? Mental play. Mental play that's yeah. the term you use. So that's really what they're getting at here. That's, a, that's what it? it is. So so that's why they say it after executive function skills. So oh, children okay. are often seen actively engaged in and passionately engrossed in play, and it builds executive function skills. Executive function skills is mental, mental play, play. And, yeah. they ref- and the, the AAP refer- refers it to it as imaginative private reality, which keeps them from boredom because they're using their imagination. Oh, isn't that something? Okay, so, so they what, use- so that's what it is. Yeah, so they're using the word boredom as though it were negative, the way I guess I talk about boredom is that it's the fuel for creativity. When you get bored, you play. Yes. But in our high tech world, kids don't ever get bored because the minute they don't have something to do, like you mentioned, waiting in line at the restaurant or waiting in line, you know, at the grocery store, whatever, if they sense boredom coming on, what's the first thing they do? There you go. So we we talk about boredom in terms of delayed gratification. Yes. So that's what, that's how we talk about. Okay. It. We talk we talk about boredom where kids kids live in this instant gratification world, so they never have to be bored. Right. Here they're using boredom as a context in terms of imagination. If you have an imagination and you're able to do mental play slash ef, you're never bored. And isn't that something? Because really, when I think back, and again, you and I had childhoods before this media manic, you know, world setting, yeah. right? We even though we're we're not real close in age, but we still grew up in an era uh, pre um, handheld technology, and uh, boredom wasn't something that I recall really happening that often because I was always looking for the next thing to do, you Correct. know, whether it yeah. was playing outside in the neighborhood, whether it was playing with my, 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 you know, dollhouse, I mean, whatever. So I was always acting, acting on, um, that imagination and that creativity. So fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. So, and, and it's so great to see them discussing executive function skills uh, and that's yeah. really what this chapter does such a good job of, yep. of and- explaining how kids who participate participate in play end up having greater advantages later in life. They do. And I underlined, as I was reading, I tried to underline every time the term executive function oh, yeah. comes up. So, but here I love on page 48 and I, I know this will, I, I won't read all of these, but I just love how they say, um, this is what play looks like in school in case you're wondering, well, how can play be a part of school? So uh, a pre-K child learning her ABCs by singing a song. I'm pretty sure we all learned the song. Did we not, Mike? when we learned our alphabet. So that's considered play. A first grader and his classmates designing and building a skyscraper with building blocks. A fourth grade class play acting as time traveling news reporters to interview great figures in history like Albert Einstein and Martin Luther King Jr. A high school biology class led by a passionate teacher who uses hands-on experimentation and unexpected failures and wrong turns to illustrate the scientific method. A recess yard filled with children running around in the fresh air with no adult and man I love this term, interference. An eighth grader engrossed in a self-chosen, self-directed classroom passion project during a weekly free period for independent discovery. It goes on and on and on, giving examples of what play looks like in the school setting. So I hope that's helpful for the listeners because I I tell you, when somebody says play-based learning or we talk about play, everybody goes to the sandbox, right, Mike? Everybody goes to early childhood. So I just think it's important to allow your, your mind to expand a little bit and recognize that play is a state of being. It's not, um, you know, uh, manipulative. You buy at a toy store. Exactly. And, and this part of the chapter brought me back once again to most likely to succeed by Wagner and Dintersmith. Uh And what I love so much about this book is it gave real world examples. Uh, so looking at this book back on page, uh, 99, he gave examples of how schools can go from lecture listen to project Uh learning. And he gave real examples. So this is really just bringing play into schools. So instead of doing lecture listen tests, 
He has students individually or in small groups pick an organization they care about, set up a website and a Facebook page on behalf of the group, and create their own way to support the organization. Students working individually or in small groups use any available resource to come up with one or more ways to predict the world's population in the Mm -hmm. year 2100. (laughs) And each student identifies a few different places where he or she might live as an adult, estimate how much it will cost them to live there and go through all that. Uh, And then students will identify a sport or a hobby they enjoy or create one or more new statistics that would be useful in predicting the outcomes of the activity. Yep. So, this, so there you go. They, 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 these authors very quickly came up with different ways to bring play into school for the older ages. Yep. And one thing, Mike, that you know has come up in all of the books that we've kind of talked about, about education reform, in this current book that we're reading, uh, page 83, and then we'll go back. I'm kind of stepping out of turn or out of order here. But um, one of the questions that these authors said they get asked is, well, without tests, how are you going to measure school success? And man, I love their answer. Okay. Um, beyond teacher-designed assessments and quizzes, there are many other highly sensitive and accurate teacher-led methods of evaluation of children's learning and development, such as learning records lab work, essays, portfolios, work sampling um, systems, performance-based tasks, project and group work, roundtable presentations of student work to a panel of judges, and even self-assessment and peer assessment by children. A well-trained teacher knows how to use all assessments to help children learn and play. So I just kind of want, because I think there's going to be some you know, people saying, well, this all sounds great, you know, learning through play, but we have, how are we going to prove that it works? How are we going to measure it? And for me, I think portfolios are extremely helpful. You know, they're great evidence and living in the digital age that we live in, you can have, you can have um, videos of, you know, uh, of, of students doing something. It can be um, pictures. You can take snap photos of, you know, actual projects. Uh, there are so many ways to document learning now, and we shouldn't have to say it has to be a Scantron test. Um, to say that that's the only way to document learning is very uh, naive, I think. You know, there are so many ways to document learning today. Yeah, and, and the key word here in this paragraph is for-profit testing companies. That's exactly what it is. There are Uh billion-dollar corporations in this country that make all their money off of public schools and private schools. That's exactly what it is. And it becomes a monopoly where each state has to use this corporation to do their standardized testing. (laughs) And that's exactly what it is. And capitalism has taken advantage of education of our most vulnerable population. And that's exactly all. If you look at the list of best countries for education – it's the ones that kept government and kept corporations and kept out. money mm-hmm. out of schools. Kept capitalism uh, out kept of Kept capitalism yeah. out of schools, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it is. Yep. Uh, and if we're going to have these for-profit testing companies, they're going to push their ideas because they care. They don't care about progress. They care about profit. That's and if right. we're so focused on profit of, of uh, teachers having to teach to yep. the test and put all these ridiculous regulations on, on testing and teachers and schools, yep. it uh, is. we're going to keep these problems. It is this school district that I am supporting um, uh, out in Wyoming. Uh, they they I go one week uh, a month and spend with the district and uh, anyways do some you know professional development really work on education reform. Uh, and they just said, well, you can't come in in April because that's testing month. And I'm like, testing month? They're like, oh yeah, we have tests the whole month. So so they basically for one month they don't. There's no learning happening. It's all just this you know high um, stress testing, high stress for students. Students, high stress for teachers, high stress for administrators. So yeah, it's it's a real issue. So we move on. On page 50, they talk um, a, a little bit about, you know, defining play in school. Here's another great uh, a little quote. It says, play is a child's dress rehearsal for life. There you How go. awesome is that? Dress rehearsal for life. Okay. So they actually talk about there's five broad types of play. We have physical play, play with objects, symbolic play, sociodramatic play, which often involves dress up and props, uh, and then games with rules. And uh, I love that they say both teachers and parents should understand that play is not a product, but a process. Okay. And I think that is, is really powerful. So on page 51, there's this beautiful little chart that gives examples of play. Um, and again, this is back to early childhood, but I just think it's nice to see, you know, when you have physical play, it involves gross motor, fine motor and psychomotor. So gross motor would be things like construction and, you know, destruction. So it could be building blocks, clay, sand, and wood, fine motor, it's manipulation, coordination. So examples, interlocking bricks, musical instruments, uh, psychomotor, adventurous 
adventurous creative movement, sensory exploration, and object play. So it could be thing like a climbing apparatus, dancing, junk modeling, finding a finding out table. So it goes through intellectual play. It goes through social emotional play. It's just really neat to kind of see it, you know, uh, what the type of play is and then what, what the play will actually look like. Um, and then if you turn the page, Mike, page 52, is that not an amazing little, um, amazing, amazing little chart. This is from the national museum of play. Um, and the strong children's museum is in, uh, Rochester, New York. And within, um, uh, that's where the American Journal of Play is published. I know I've mentioned that before. The American Journal of Play is published by. Have you the been Strong. to that museum? No, I really would love to go. We You've need to there? go. I would. No, that would never. be a great field trip, a chapter chat field trip. I'm going to look it up right now. Do it's the Strong the Children's National- Museum, and it's in Rochester, New York, and that is where they have like the um, toy. Uh, Oh, it's like the museum and it's like the best toys of all times. And so they decide which toys go into the Toy Hall of Fame. And like some of the recent inductees into the Toy Hall of Fame are like the stick, the cardboard box. I mean, it's so cool. I am all about the strong children's museum. Never been there. But Mike, I would seriously, I would fly from Kansas City and meet you in Rochester if you ever want to go to the strong children's museum. This place looks unbelievable. Yeah. So listeners, look it up. I mean, I have no financial ties to the Strong Children's Museum, but I have um, used them in all of my research. So this is a great chart on page 52 where they have this box and in the middle of the box, it says play develops children in four ways. And then in each corner of the box, they have physical development, cognitive development, social development, and emotional development. And I just think um, I'll probably need to do that as a social media post soon. Uh, that's just really, really a great explanation. So, um, yeah. So you like that website, huh, Mike? Pretty this cool. is museumofplay.org. Uh, and it looks like they, they also have a school there as well called the Woodbury School. Oh. So children at the Woodbury School learn and develop in playful activities uh, set among the museum's hand-on exhibits. Isn't that something? So, so it's, it's hands-on in, learning. A school wow. in the museum. Yeah, we definitely have to go check that place Unbelievable. out. Unbelievable. This, th- this place looks amazing. And yeah, if you're reading along with us, this chart on page 52 really shows the learning power of yeah. play. It's exactly yeah. what it is. The title of the chapter. Physical, physical play leads to strong, healthy bodies, motor skills, coordination. Uh, uh, going through play leads to cognitive development, math skills, mm-hmm. research skills, independent thinking, social development, socialization, cooperation, collaboration, and emotional uh, self-regulation, self-confidence, impulse control. It's persistence, all resilience. Persistence. Oh, and it's stuff. all through play. It's all yep. through play. And, it and is beautiful. I, I, I can't tell you, the number one question I get is, how do I, what, what can I do at home? Parents always uh-huh. say, what can I do at home? How can I carry over what you're teaching my son in your executive functioning therapy sessions? Right. Uh, and it's just fascinating how, uh, how <clears throat> the answer is play, you know, <laughs> it, m- stop making their days so structured, right. allow them to play hands-on learning and help them figure things out. Yep. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And one of the things, um, I have a course on uh, the power of play in a high-tech world that I do for um, professional development trainings. And um, I talk about how the the power of play is actually rooted in the neuroscience research. And so on page 54, it says, um, this is a 2016 analysis by Cambridge University. And it says neuroscientific studies have shown that playful activity leads to synaptic growth, particularly in, oh, Mike, you're going to love this, the frontal cortex, the part of the brain responsible for the higher mental functions. I mean, isn't it just, it all, it's just so tied together with this beautiful little bow, how important play is. And it goes on to say that um, the studies have also consistently demonstrated the superior learning and motivation arising from playful as opposed to instructional approaches to learning in children. So how about instead of play, we call it executive function practice. 
Ooh, or I executive. love it. You, you know yep. what I'm saying? Because yep. that's that's really what it is. Yeah, because play it's, play yep. is it's basically them practicing their executive function. It is. It, it is. It, that's that's it. That's the number one thing for we kids do. to do. We need to come up with uh because I'm telling you the word play has such a negative connotation, and yep. I just don't know where this came from. But people, most people view play literally as frivolous, purposeless activity. And the research, um, there's no research to suggest that. The research says play is learning, right? So on page 55, Mike, is where it all begins. All the times I underlined the word, uh, the term executive function. It just happens over and over and over. Um, The evidence is becoming increasingly clear, physical play and physical activity. So now we're talking about the importance of play-based movement, that it actually boosts academic performance. So there is actually a a, a National, National Academy of Sciences. They issued a clinical report that declared that time in the school day dedicated to recess, physical education class, and physical activity in the classroom also facilitates academic performance, especially Mm -hmm. in mathematics and reading. Executive function and brain health underlie academic performance. Um, It goes on to say executive function, and here it explains it, includes a broad range of higher level cognitive processes, such as planning and decision making, the management of information and memory, controlling negative feelings and actions, and smooth shifts from one task to another. Oh, it's just so good, Mike. And then look at the next page. Yeah. Yeah, so so basically, basically, there's the simple way to say it. There's no learning without executive functions, and there's no executive functions without without play. play. There you go. It's as simple as that. It's a nice little formula, if you will. On page 56 and 57, I have executive functioning underlined one, two, three, four, Mm -hmm. five times. Uh, If you go to the bottom of page 57... um, Oh, look at this. I have something starred, though, the top of page 57. Isn't this something? It says... Um, They found that structured activities like soccer practice, piano lessons, tutoring, and homework, um, which predicted poorer self-directed executive functioning. The researchers speculated that structured time could slow down the development of self-directed control since adults in such scenarios can provide external cues and reminders about what should happen and when. Play, in other words, enables your child to practice and strengthen executive function. I know you have stuff to say about that. Mike, because you talk a lot about creating prompt dependency and codependency. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So this whole topic of structured time uh, is something that came up big time during the pandemic. Of course, parents trying to really keep their kids structured while they were home during during virtual school. Right. And this is something that we're seeing the rise of. We're seeing the rise of permissive parenting. We're seeing the rise of helicopter parenting, and it's creating almost this codependency mm-hmm. uh, between parents and and child. And most often, it's mother and son, uh, and it lasts into the college years, and it creates almost this failure to launch issue. Oh. Uh, but this whole idea of structured time is still also just like play, widely misunderstood. So uh, structured time uh, could, you know, also includes, you know. Uh, open access to screens because that time is being structured by the student's need for instant gratification Mm. in the screens. So Mm -hmm. that's, that is part of structured time is allowing the child to have their own control over their screen time. But structured time is not okay. Dinner is at this time and then you read and then you do this, those sorts of things, but you have to make sure that there's an hour or two of free undirected outdoor quote unquote, risky play mm-hmm. embedded in the day. Yeah. So it's okay to have structure in the home. Structure in the home is good. Right. You want to have structure and say, okay, this is when you shower, this is right. when you brush your teeth, this is when you but eat, this is when you But having a schedule read. is not like helicopter parents. Correct. Do you know what I mean? Like Correct. when we talk about, I mean, their kids, all kids need some time to get bored so that they can, um, initiate something that they've imagined, you know, yep. something they, 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 the, the ability to initiate, I'm just going to tell you that to me is a real concern. You, you send kids outside to play and they come back in five minutes later and go, there's nothing to do. And I'm like, well, that's the whole point of outdoor play though, is there isn't yep. anything to do. So you have to create it, but that means you have to imagine it first. Right. So that mental play isn't happening happening. And that's an executive function skill because kids today are raised to do what adults tell them to do. Okay. We have soccer practice at seven and then we have to go home and, you know, you have to do your homework and I'll help you with your homework. And then you have to take, you know, so it's this whole idea of I'm going to structure everything for you instead of saying, well, you just had dinner. Now you have two hours of free time until you take your bath at 
you know, seven o'clock or eight o'clock, whatever. And they go, well, I don't know what to do. Well, go find something to do. Exactly. But, you know, that's the thing is that ability get on your that, bike and don't yeah. come back inside until eight yeah, o'clock. Yeah. Simple find something that. to get, do. Go get on your bike. Go knock on someone's door. Right. Like we used to do back in the day. I don't know if yeah. other people do that anymore. They don't even do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I literally used to ride my bike to my friend's house and just knock on the door. Hi, yep. is this person home? Yep, uh, absolutely. But that's, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, go for a walk. Go ride go your out bike. Go in the backyard. Go and skateboard. Just go play go with do your something. Dog. But, but yeah. you're not coming inside. I don't right. want to see you with my eyes right. for another two hours. Go outside right. and figure something out. That's right. And I know people say, oh, but we live in a different world. It's so unsafe now. I got to tell you this. So, you know, uh, since I travel a lot and I've told you a little bit, Mike, about how I listen to true crime podcasts now, because, you know, like I just drove to Kentucky and it was an eight and a half hour drive. So that's a lot of podcasts. But uh, so anyways, I was listening to this one on serial killers and they're like, well, you know how everybody says like, it's such a, a scary time we live in. And they're like, did you know from 1970 something, I can't remember the exact year to like 1995, that was the, the, the height of the serial killer like yeah. time. Like that was when mm-hmm. the most serial killers were out there. So to say that the world is, is scarier now than it used to be. I mean, it, you know, are, do we have different types of things happening now? Sure. I mean, there are because we have online predators and you know what I mean? So it, I'm, it certainly is different, but we have to understand that there's always been, you know, uh, uh, dangers in the world, but it's not a reason to keep your child indoors at, at, at all costs. And again, I do understand that in some, depending on the part of the city, you know, that there are some places where it just isn't safe for kids to play outside, but we're just talking general here that kids need more outdoor play. They need more downtime. They need more self-directed play. Um, because it, it, it absolutely is what, uh, uh, builds, brains right that, and isn't that what this is all about we want to build brains that is exactly it and at the end of the at the end of the day that's every parent's goal is for their child to be successful when they're not around that's and right you do that through play you want them to learn to be able to feed you know uh, in, in better words be able to take care of themselves that's right uh, you know in in the real world yep uh and they do that through being away from you, you know, they <laughs> they get to the age where they, they need the independence, right. they need to be able to go out in the community and figure things out and learn and, learn and fail. How, yeah, learn how to go from your house to the store and back and ride <laughs> yep. your bike to the, you know, the 7-Eleven or the Wawa right, or whatever right. it is exactly. and buy something and spend money and come home. Can I just say the Wawa? I just have to laugh because I'm from, you know, the Midwest and here in the Midwest, we have our convenience stores are like Casey's and Quick Trip. Those are the two most common ones we have here. And when I'm on the East Coast, especially like, I don't know, in, well, you know, I, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, I don't even know, somewhere out there, I, I'm like, what is a Wawa? So I actually had to stop at a Wawa to figure out what it is. That is one of the most amazing convenience stores I have ever been in. Oh, it is pretty my cool. It does, get, it does get a little old after a while. Does so, it? So, I'm does from, it? so of course, I'm from New York where we ha- where there's no Wawas. Okay. All okay. we have is 7-Eleven and like actual delis and bodegas oh, okay. and things like okay. that. Uh, but Wawa, like at first, it was kind of cool and charming. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then eventually it gets a little old. Does it? Yeah. It does. Well, I was yeah. pretty impressed with it. When you drive and you're just looking for somewhere to stop, they were always clean. They had Yeah, they food, are always clean. Know, they are so. clean. I, I, I got to admit, they are clean. Yeah, yeah. And there's also Sheets. Have you heard of Sheets? Uh-uh. uh-uh. So is Sheets, that another one? Sheets is like the middle of Pennsylvania oh, okay. uh, version of Wawa. Oh, so there's okay. Wawa and, and Sheets. Too. Okay, yeah, so you yeah. have those too. Yep. And my, yep. my, yeah, it's so funny how just where you are regionally, you're going to have yep. different, different stores. But in the middle of page 57, the American Academy of Pediatrics once again says, quote, play is not frivolous. It enhances brain structure and function and promotes executive function, um, which allows us to pursue goals and ignore distractions. I mean, that's just a really nice summary, isn't it, Mike? Like if you had to put what you focus on, like in one sentence, I just thought, wow, like pursue goals and ignore distractions. I just have to say, as somebody who works from home, when I'm not out presenting, you know, out traveling, um, I have to always stay focused, you know, keep your eyes on the prize. Like I have a to-do list, you know, that uh, because I have all these seminars coming up and I have, you know, podcast to record and all these things. And it is really important to be able to, to ignore distractions because if my phone is anywhere near me while I'm working, I get distracted. So I have learned to either put it on silent and flip 
flip it upside down. And then like once an hour, I'll stop and check messages. Same thing with email. Because if I allowed my email to ding every time I get one, I would never get anything That's right. done. That's right? right. So yeah. in this in this mediumanic world where there's constant distractions, learning how to ignore distractions or how to intentionally plan so that you're not distracted, um, that's a real important executive function skill. Yeah. And, and another thing is, how about this American Academy of Pediatrics? It's like they are, at, you know, mm-hmm. the work that like over this past couple of years, we've learned to sort of distrust some governmental organizations. Right, right, right. But this, this American Academy of Pediatrics, speaking from a clinician standpoint, they're really, really on top of things. They really and are. And they're constantly yep. updating their research and getting research done and partnering with other people, other organizations and universities. Yep. Uh, but they're really, really on the forefront of what's best for our kids and how can we help our kids. Uh, and they stress executive function like no other. Uh, because we know that uh, executive function is more important than grades and more yep. important than homework. And you can have strong executive functions and drop out of high school. That, chances are you're going to be okay. Yep, uh, absolutely. So e- executive functioning is really uh, by far the most important thing. And they yeah. highlight it over and over, over and over. Again. It's beautiful. Mike, I want to jump ahead to page 60 because this is something right before we hit That's record, right. you and I talked about, we re- we said we really need to talk about risky play. And um, this is something that they spend, oh gosh, several pages here on is the importance of risky play. And I just want to mention that there is a difference between risky play and hazardous play. Okay. So hazardous play, like I would never condone giving young children fire or um, guns or knives. Okay. That's not what we're talking about. So I think sometimes when we say the word, you know, the term risky play, people immediately go to, you're going to let them play with guns or no, that's not hazardous play. That's not, (laughs) I mean, that's not, there's a big difference here. Risky play means, oh, um, we're going to go ahead and through play. And let's be clear that risky play usually indicates outdoor play. I mean, that's really what we're getting at here. Um, It encourages, creativity, resilience. It builds social skills. Um, So it's things like climbing, jumping, rough and tumble play, and solitary exploration displayed, all of those things displayed greater physical and social health. Um, They found positive results reflect the importance of supporting children's risky outdoor play opportunity as a means of promoting health and active lifestyles. Um, They found extra benefits promoting children's sense of inventiveness, creativity, management of risk, and savoring the possibility of discovery and excitement. How cool is that? Savoring the possibility. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. I love it. I love it so much. I I remember, I I think it was last summer I saw a video. Can't remember where it was, Uh, but it was these three boys at a summer camp on the beach and uh-huh. they were basically like fighting over a towel and, you know, and wrestling on the beach uh-huh. and wrestling in the uh-huh. sand. And the person wrote in the captions, like most counselors would have broken this up sure. and, and, and gotten them in trouble and scolded them in this. But I stood back, I sat, I observed without saying anything uh-huh. and watched them do it and everything turned out fine. Yeah. Like a, within five minutes, they were all sitting around joking and, and playing because that's what boys do. That's what kids right. do. Girls that's do the same, do the same right. kind of thing. But that's risky play is, you know, playing with your hands, you know, learning. Well, climbing, climbing, climbing trees. Climbing, yeah. You and I, I mean, I climbed trees. That was one of my favorite things. I, we don't even let time. kids climb the trees. And if we do, you, you'll you constantly hear parents or caregivers saying things yep. like, oh, be careful, be careful. So I have to um, share this thing that I found. And I just, I thought this was really, really insightful um, that when you always say, be careful, right? Like, do you ever hear people say that? Oh, be careful, sweetie, be careful. That's right. Um, so, there was a post on Instagram. Um, and instead of uh, always saying, you know, be careful because that term can lose its impact. If you say it, uh, all the time, instead of be careful, there's a splinter. How about, Oh, do you see there's a tear in the rope? You know, instead of saying, be careful, like that could, you know, y- you see it. So now, you know, it's there. Um, there's this video and it is, uh, I don't even know. I have it in one of my play seminars, but it is like a documentary about the importance of risky play. And mm-hmm. the example they give, they're out in the park and there is the teacher who is kind of scouring this, you know, new park area. She sees a thorny bush. And she said, what often what adults will do is say, okay, kids don't play over in this area. Cause there's a thorny bush. It could hurt you. She said, instead, what you would want to do is you would 
want to bring all the kids over and show them, say, oh, look at this interesting bush. Oh, look, there are, those look like thorns. And so the kids are looking at them. And so what she's doing is bringing awareness that there are thorns. So if you were to fall or, you know, run into this bush, what do you think it would do? So they're all the kids now are talking. So she's using it as a teaching moment. Instead of saying, whatever you do, don't come around this bush. She's saying, if you come around this bush, you know, just know there are thorns on it. So drawing a child's attention to something is a lot different than saying, watch out, be careful, or don't, don't do this. Right. So it's just important if you have a child who's climbing a tree, instead of saying, oh, here, I'll help you. Like if they're trying to get down, you maybe could say something like, oh, maybe try putting your foot or your hand over here instead of actually like physically helping them. And, And so anyways, it's just important to think about that risky play matters because here's the deal through risky play, children learn how to analyze risk. And would you agree as an adult, you better know how to analyze risk, right? Because that's how you make decisions in life. Am I going to do this? Well, what are the pros and the cons? What are the risks associated with that? I always give the example when I quit my full-time job and decided to go into private practice, was that a risk? Was that a huge risk yeah, that, that huge me and my risk. husband took? Of course it was a yeah. huge risk. Mm-hmm. But do you think we we made that lightly? Do you think I just came home one day after having a bad day at work and said, I hate my job. I'm going to quit and just start yep. a private practice. Oh my Lord, no. I spent like a year like researching and we yep. did pros and cons list. And so all of that was developed because I had a very risky childhood. I mean, you know, I spent a, most of my childhood outdoors and engaging in that type of risky play. Now, granted, when I, you and I were kids, Mike, we didn't live in such a litigious society. So when I was a kid, there was actually something called childhood accidents. And they were just that. You got stitches, you had a broken bone, and it was considered a rite of passage. I mean, I'm sorry, that's just how it was when we were kids. Today, if a child gets hurt, it's somebody's fault. Somebody is going to get blamed and likely sued. So that's why so many of the school districts have removed swings and slides from the, the playground because they can't have any ability for risky play to happen because heaven forbid a child have a childhood accident, somebody's going to sue the school. So they've removed all risk from like playgrounds and parks. Um, they're, they're not very risky at all. And so kids don't even necessarily find joy in going to a lot of these parks because they, they don't stimulate their, their sense of discovery of the, remember they said the possibility of, uh, whatever it was, the possibility of discovery and excitement. There's, you know, when you and I were kids, they had slides that went round and round, you know what I mean? Really high. And they went, Uh and we'd go head first and we'd climb up the wrong way. And I mean, we had that risky play. Monkey bars. Oh, absolutely. We had it. So we had that, that possibility of discovery and excitement, but today playgrounds are so safe that kids are like, Oh, go down the slide. We, it's like, you know, four foot long and it's straight. And they're like, Oh, go down the slide. We, and they're like, let's go. This is dumb. You know, and they want to take my phone out instead. Exactly. I'll sit on my phone. Absolutely. So um, uh, Canada, we're going to give you some props here on page 61. Uh, In 2015, they did a major analysis of the benefits to children of outdoor play. Here we go. Um, Access to active play in nature and outdoors with all of its risks. Um, They recommend that they move more, sit less. Um, Exposure has been shown to be essential for healthy child development. Um, when children spend more time in front of screens, they're less likely, uh, what does it say? When children spend more time in front of screens, they're more likely to be exposed to cyber predators. Um, they're also more likely to eat more unhealthy snacks. So there's this whole thing, but Mike, you got to talk about this one on page 62. Oh yeah. Hyper parenting limits physical activity and can harm mental health. So what term, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. Talk to us what your thoughts are about hyper parenting. Hyperparenting is so many things rolled into one. Hyperparenting is permissive parenting, where it's uh, you, you, there's there's very little structure, very little guidelines, uh, but you're still hyper focused on what your child is doing. It's also uh, helicopter parenting, mm-hmm. and it's it's this codependency that we talk about is is where parents are so focused on what their kids are doing, uh, if they're doing their homework, what their grades are, what they're doing every hour of every day that ends up hurting the child. So we talk about them needing to go outdoors, them needing risky play, them needing unstructured time. If you're always on top of them, you're keeping them prompt dependent and you are not allowing them 
to be in experiences, be in varied experiences where they're going to develop executive function skills. And executive function skills are independent skills. Yep. And they are never going to be independent, even if they're getting straight A's in honors classes, in AP classes, and acing the SATs. They are never going to live an independent life if you don't back off. So That's when right. parents step back, kids step up. So hype, there is research upon research upon research to show that if you are constantly on your kid's back, stressing them out, uh, creating a negative back and forth relationship, uh, giving them open access to screens and keeping them in the house all day and always needing to know where they are every single day, you're hurting them in the, in the long term. That's right. That's right. So that hyper parenting, Mike and I were talking about, I'd never really heard that term. I've heard helicopter parenting, you know, mm -hmm. and I just thought, Ooh, that's really interesting to call it hyper parenting. Uh, one of the things on page 63, Mike, that I think is so powerful. And they talk about the importance of outdoor play is nearsightedness. Um, mm. also known as myopia has reached epidemic levels, um, in different parts of the world. And they're saying it's because of an increase in near screen activities, you know, really close up activities and a decrease in natural sunlight. And so they say the best way to prevent myopia in young children is to let them play outside. When you play outside, your eyes focus on things far away, right? You look at clouds yep. in the sky, you look yep. at birds in the sky, you look at things at a distance. And so you work different muscles. But when you sit inside in front of a screen all day, um, which I can attest to um, now, ever since the pandemic, um, I have spent more time in front of my computer, you know, writing and typing and um, because, you know, I, I couldn't go out and present. And the more time I spend in front of my computer, the worse my eyesight gets. I mean, you know, just because, I mean, I have old eyes now, but it is um, a real concern for young children. So get them outdoors. There is study after study cited in this chapter. Here's, I mean, there's so many. There's one, uh, I mean, they're just over and over. Uh, so if you are looking for evidence, um, chapter three is filled with uh, evidence related to the importance of play. It just goes to show you that our bodies are not meant to live life this way. Right. We're not meant right. to be in front of a screen. We're not meant to be sedentary. Yep. You know, we talk about myopia and a, and a nearsightedness. Uh, how about the rise in ADHD? How about the rise in sensory dysregulation? See, yes. yeah. How about the rise in mental health? How about mm -hmm. the rise in anxiety? Yep. All of these things are directly correlated to the rise of screens and the disappearance of play. Yep. And, and, and along with disappearance of play, disappearance of outdoor activity, right? Kids, Real play. Childhood has moved indoors. I think that's yep. something we can all agree on. You know, yep. childhood has moved indoors as a result of 21st century learning. Speaking of 21st century learning, Mike, on page 71, I actually wrote 21st century learning standards here because when I go into schools uh, to do consultations, and Mike, I want you to start doing this because I know you go into a lot of schools. Yeah. Sometimes they'll have posted like in the school. Sometimes it's in the, in the um, like, where the administrators, you know, the administrative building, but there will often be a poster that says 21st century learning standards. And so I'm always eager to read those. And it always, every one of them, every one of the like little bullet points has to do with actual screen time. But um, I love this, that they say play is the ultimate 21st century skills booster, right? So the world um, is filled with prognostications about 21st century skills, um, you know, and, 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 you know, everything uh, they say our world economy is being rapidly reshaped by automation, digitalization, robotics, artificial intelligence, right? So there's all of this stuff um, that, that we know is happening. Um, but what is so important when, it, uh, when they talk about the need for our children's future is a chance to flex their curiosity, collaboration, exploration, and imagination to create new ideas that add genuine value to the world. So I love how, the, I mean, look at page 72 and 73, Mike. I mean, our listeners can't see, but I have highlighted like almost everything on these oh, two yeah. pages because they talk about how critical play is um, for 21st century learning. And I just think that's something we're going to have to really get specific about because what everybody wants to say is, oh, but we live in a different time now. Oh, but we live in the digital age now. Absolutely. And it still is important that kids are, are, are learning through play, right? That doesn't change. And that's exactly it. And I, I can't tell you how many parents I talk to that say, oh, kids don't get together anymore. They play online games. Mm -hmm. They talk on Discord. They talk on Snapchat. Uh, so I sign them up for the esports team at school, so he yep. can play. He can play games, and he could be social. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. it's better than sitting at home and playing video games by yourself. Yeah. But it is in no way, shape, or form going to strengthen executive function skills and prepare you for 
the real world where you're going to have to interact with real people uh, on the in, near the bottom of page 72 it says the knowledge and skills most needed in our ongoing fourth industrial revolution will likely not be the ability to remember content knowledge which google already does quite well but the more complex human skills of are you ready critical thinking creativity problem solving, people management, and social skills. These skills are all developed by various forms of deeper play in and out of school. Wow. So basically, Mike, what they're talking about is we've got to prepare children for the skills that computers can't do. Yeah. Because computers and Google yeah. can take care of all the content knowledge and they can do all the math for us and or they can do all that. So what we need to do is make sure children are developing the skills computers can't do. And that's creativity and those executive function skills and people management and critical thinking, right? That's so a great way to, that's a great way to think about it. You know, look at, look at the world today and compare it to what, uh, what the world was like when you were a kid. Yep. So all these kids right now that we're prepping through this unbelievably outdated system of education, what's the world going to look like when they have a college degree and hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt? Yep. What's the job market going to look like? What skills are they actually going to have? What skills are necessary? Yeah. 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 It's, it, yeah. And it's, it's scary to think about because they're spending their entire lives in front of a screen right. and they're not going to be able to fiend for a world that is highly competitive. That's right. So they go on on page 73, quote, we're trying to train our kids to be better computers, but our kids will never be better computers than computers. Mm. She contended that we should not only teach children content, but strengthen their skills of creativity, exploration, and innovation through play as early preparation and practice for their future work. These are things humans do better than computers and play helps us develop them. I mean, I just think that's it in a nutshell. Like, can we get an yeah, amen? Like absolutely. we can't compete with computers. Nope. There's no way human beings can ever compete with computers. So darn it, let's make sure education is about giving kids the skills that computers can't do. That's exactly. education reform in the 21st century, right? And, and and these computers and these companies that are producing this technology and these computers, they're not slowing down. They're gonna no. keep. They're gonna keep making it bigger. <laughs> no. look, look at the yes. iPhones we have now compared Compare, to the first yes. iPhones. Absolutely. That's exactly what's gonna happen. So if so, if your son or daughter is being, uh, if you're judging them based on grades, right. on things that computers are going to do for them in the real world, yeah. come on, we it's need, not. We education. need to get back to the real, real skills here. That's absolutely right. On page 74, I just, I, I know you'll agree with this, this statement, Mike. Children graduating from the K-12 system are largely unprepared for workplace challenges. Don't you, haven't we talked about that in some of our other books, that these kids graduate oftentimes with 4.0s, but they can't find a job or when they do get a job, they don't have the skills to do well. So I see it all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a real common thing that we're seeing. Or, you know, yes, they, they have a college degree, but they live at home still, you know, they can't, they can't manage, you know, some of the things that go, I can't have a full-time job and run a household um, because they don't have those executive function skills. So the rest of the chapter goes on and on. There's like 20 more pages left in the chapter, but I think Mike, I'm going to flip through. There's, well, there's a really interesting section that if you do own the book, um, starting on page 78, uh, they have, uh, a simulated argument between two people. So one person asks a question uh, about, you know, why play doesn't matter. And then they give a really nice answer. So they're very good questions um, uh, that I think like one question is, are you arguing for 100% play-based schools? That's a recipe for chaos. And they say, no, we're arguing for balance between Correct. play and more formal teaching. So like every question you have, like, as you think about this without tests, how do you measure school success? And I already kind of gave you that that answer. So anyways, it has like, I don't know, 10 pages of questions that are like negative and then with the, the answers that the authors give. Okay. Oh, and here's the word seed again, Mike, on page 88. Question. No matter how hard I try, I just can't wrap my head around the idea of children spending time playing in school when they should be doing homework and studying. What do you suggest? Answer. And I have a star by this one. Don't think of it as play. Think of it as systematic exploration, experimentation, and discovery. Seed. Think of it as nourishing brain and body food for your child. And beautiful. it's one of the most wonderful gifts we can give children. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 and this chapter ends with a huge list of uh -huh. 25 different things that are the positive, scientifically backed parts of play. I love how they talk about Vygotsky and, yep. Yep. Uh, and the, uh, the uh, 
the actual development, the zones of proximal development. Huh? So based on uh, real age and true age, yep. based on what they're able to do, their potential development and play really uh, helps them catch up to their true age. Yep. Uh, but this is a, this is an amazing chapter. If, if you have, if you are the kind of person that needs research, that needs data, yep. uh, that needs everything, you have the American Academy of Pediatrics basically on cited, cited yep. on every single page of this chapter yep. mm-hmm. talking about the benefits of play. So, uh, you know, we talked and we talked a lot on this podcast about uh, Montessori schools and play-based preschools and getting rid of those kidney-shaped tables and preschools and kindergartens. Yep. But hey, we're talking about this throughout all of school. We're talking yeah. elementary, middle, high. There yep. has to be play. There has yeah. to be play. There has to be executive functioning practice. Absolutely. Uh, and this chapter highlights it time and time again. Beautifully. Yeah. And one of the the sections we didn't talk about specifically, but they talk about how recess is critical. It's a critical component of school. And in this last section, they say recess is a complement to, but not a replacement for physical education. So it's important to recognize that recess is free play. Um, Physical education is guided by a coach, right? By the PE coach. So they're not the same thing and one cannot replace the other. They are, they, they are both necessary uh, in school. So anyway, chapter in this book about recess. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, I can't wait. Oh, we're Mm -hmm. gonna have a good time with that then. So the very last thing then on page 94, I think it is, is there is this beautiful little chart that show how play actually boosts academic learning. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to end by reading a couple of these dress up play transitions to drama in the upper grades, object play like toy play transitions to to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Musical play transitions to playing a musical instrument. Uh, um, If you look at um, any kind of uh, type of guided play, that's where they talk about playful teaching and learning, discovery and experimentation with adult guidance, the deeper level play, regular periods for free play, choice, passion projects. That helps with self-directedness, intrinsic motivation, positive emotions, uh, uh, process-oriented learning. Learning. Uh, so, you know, obviously if there's any kind of arts and crafts type play in early childhood, that's going to lead to creativity and, you know, design and all of those things. So um, it's just really interesting. And it's important to recognize that um, play has a place in school, right? And that play is learning. They are not opposites. They are synonyms. Absolutely. And there's so much more research that shows the learning benefits of play, all this play that we do, this unstructured play leading to true life skills. And that's what life's all about is gaining true life skills, executive function skills, and all the research shows it. So it's time we start questioning why things are the way they are because it's not working. It's not working. All right, Mike, this was awesome. Uh, A very long chapter, but we got through it. That's right. Uh, We always do. So yes, uh, next time we will uh, take a, a gander at chapter four. And this is an interesting chapter, the title of chapter four, just to, um, so you kind of know what's coming. It's called The Germ That Kills Play. And we talked about germ in one of our previous books. So um, right. uh, uh, stay tuned for episode four, where you can learn more about what germ stands for and what it is all about. So yeah. awesome talking to you, Mike. Always a great time. Talk to you guys right. soon. Yeah. Take care. Bye.